0: What is up, City Light? Good morning. My name is Doug, and uh, I'm one of the pastors for our church. That's what I get to do for a living, and I, I love it. Even though when I was a kid, I never dreamed that I would grow up to be a pastor. I dreamed of being a professional baseball player for the Texas Rangers, and Nolan Ryan wanting to be my friend because I was such a good pitcher. Uh, I dreamed of scoring the winning goal for the United States in the World Cup. That's a soccer tournament, for those of you who don't know, right? Like, I shoot, I score, the crowd goes wild. That's what I dreamed of, and um, my dreams didn't exactly pan out, you know? Like, I've got a dad bod. Um, I root for the Iowa Hawkeyes, which wasn't so bad yesterday. Like, actually went in my favor yesterday. Uh, And I haven't played soccer in years, But at least I dreamed, right? So let me ask you, what do you dream of? Like, what are your dreams? If I guaranteed you absolute success, no risk of failure, what would you do with your life? Some of you moms are like, oh, no risk of failure? I would click on that work from home ad that keeps showing up on Facebook and be that secret online shopper that actually makes $5,000 a week. That's what I would do. Some of you, you may start your own restaurant or own your own business. Maybe you would travel the world or make a movie. Maybe you would actually ask that girl out and take her to dinner and a movie, no risk of failure, remember? We all have dreams and ambitions. We have hopes for our lives, our own ideas of success. So what do you dream of? Now, I want you to get that and kind of lock it into your mind, Okay. Let it stay there because I'm about to ask you a follow-up question to that. And I want us to take this follow-up question seriously and honestly. This next question that I'm about to ask you is the same question that faced the people of God in the back half of the book of Exodus. Okay, so in Exodus, God's people start out and they're in slavery, they're oppressed, but God delivers them out of that slavery, splits the Red Sea, they go through, He takes care of their enemies, He gives them a law and some leaders and a lot of love. And even whenever they go and erect a golden calf and then they like play together, even whenever that happens, He doesn't destroy them, instead, He disciplines them. And before all of that happened, way back in Genesis, God had promised these people, his people, a land. A land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, this was going to be a wonderful land. He had promised them victory over their enemies. He had promised them safe passage that they would actually get there. I mean, God had said, hey, I'm going to give you success. I'm going to give you the life you've always wanted. I'm going to give you your dreams. God promised to give their dreams to his people. So, His people have their dreams, their idea of success, and hopefully you have your dream, your idea of success, the life you want. Now, here's the follow-up question to that. What if, what if God promised to give you that? What if he promised to fulfill all of your dreams, to give you everything that you ever wanted, that you actually got to live the life you've always wanted to live, but one caveat, God doesn't go with you. God doesn't go with you. Would you take that deal? Like you're sitting across the table from God Almighty. He's probably got on a really nice suit. And you know his bank account is so loaded that if he guarantees you success, he can actually go and pay for it. And he slides a piece of paper across the table. It's a proposal, an offer. And you look at it, And it says that he will give you all the blessings you've ever desired. Health, wealth, success, freedom. You actually get to meet and hang out with Nolan Ryan. You like get the work from home job that actually works. Whatever it is, what if God promised to bless you with every blessing except for himself? Would you take that deal? Think about it. Uh, It's a legit question, at least for me. I mean, I'm not too proud to admit that I wouldn't seriously consider that deal. If I could be guaranteed a happy family, a house big enough for all of our kids to run and play, and a professional soccer contract where I score the game-winning goal, you better believe I'm gonna actually entertain that deal. And it's that dilemma, that question that faces the people of God in the whole back half of the book of Exodus. You remember the first half of the book of Exodus? We preached through it. And I mean, that first half of the book of Exodus is just loaded with action. It's like every turn, every new chapter, there's a new murder, a mystery, a miracle. Something crazy is happening. It's like a Mission Impossible movie where your pulse just never slows down. You're like, oh, it's slowing down. No, and now it's crazy again. That's the first half of the book of Exodus. But the back half of the book of Exodus is all about the presence of God. God has got his people out of Egypt. Now God's figuring out how to get into his people. You catch that? God got his people out of Egypt. Now he's figuring out how do I get into my people. That's the story of the back half of the book of Exodus that we're going to look at today. So, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna start in Exodus 25. We're just gonna track through the story a little bit, hit some highlights, and make some observations. In your Bibles, you can go to Exodus 25. In your program, you can flip it over to your notes, fill in the blanks if you want to, and just track with us. A few observations I wanna share with you. The first thing we know is that God wants to be with His people, God wants to be with His people, that's His goal. That's his desire. It was his idea to be in and among his people. So God starts to give them a plan, some blueprints. He tells them, I want you to go build me a house, a home. It's called a tabernacle. And God says, he gets Moses, brings him up to the mountain. He's like, hey, Moses, here's what you got to do. Gather all the people up, have them pitch in, help out, raise some funds. And Exodus 25 verse 8. He says, God says to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is very clear about his intentions here. He wants to be with his people. Ladies, he's not like that guy who keeps asking you out on a date but won't communicate his intentions to you. Okay, God took his bride out. Then he got down on a knee. He proposed to her. They entered into engagement. Then they entered into covenant. They got married. And now God's saying, hey, make me a house because I'm moving in and we're going to live together. Later on in Exodus chapter 29, four different times and four different ways, God communicates, I want to be with you, Israel. He says, I want to be with you. I want to be among you. Let's meet up. Let's hang out. So God has his bride. Now he's scheduling his date nights so that he can be with her. Church, can we just say how remarkable, how lovely, how honoring, how incredible it is that God actually wants to be with his people? That's his desire. In high school, my summer job was mowing yards, and my dad always did it with me. Now, I had asthma. I was severely allergic to fresh-cut grass so I was a scrawny 14-year-old walking behind the push lawnmower, just sweating a ton in the heat of the Texas summer, and I had a painter's mask over my mouth so that the grass couldn't get in. So I would literally, I'd have a sunburn all over my face except where the mask was. And every night I'd go to bed, snot myself to sleep. It was kind of awkward. It wasn't going well. But I loved mowing yards. Why? because I could tell that my dad liked being with me when we mowed yards together. My dad liked to teach me how to edge the sidewalks. My dad loved to drink iced tea whenever we would take breaks together. I could tell that my dad enjoyed being with me, so I loved mowing yards. I could take the snotty nose. I could take the awkward sunburn because I could tell that my dad wanted to be with me. I loved it. It made me feel loved, and it made me feel loved. Honored. It makes all the difference in a relationship when you know that the other person actually wants to be with you, right? Like, guys, have you ever been on that date, right? It's a gorgeous girl. She's beautiful. You go pick her up, but she's not ready when you get there, and she's like 30 minutes late, and then she gets in the car, and you take her to dinner, and all she talks about is that other guy and how she thinks he's funny, and it's just really clear she's not into you, right? So, dudes, I don't care how gorgeous she is. You don't want that relationship, right? Or wives, do you ever just want to talk with your husband, but the game is on? right? And he tries to be polite. He tries to listen. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh but his heart is in the game, right? His heart, his mind is in the game. It makes all the difference in a relationship when you know that that other person actually wants to be with you. People of God, City Light Church, let me assure you, God Almighty, the King of heaven and of earth wants to be with you, He wants it. This is the very nature and character of who God is. And we know this because way back in Genesis chapter one, the beginning of the Bible, as soon as God made a world, the next thing he made was a person to live in that world, and God wanted to be with that person. His name was Adam. We know that God wants to be with his people because in Exodus as soon as he gets his people out of Egypt he's figuring out how to get into his people. We know this about our God because he gives instructions for how to build a tabernacle. Later on he gives instructions how to build a temple so that he can be with his people. Eventually it climaxes when he sends his own son Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with his people. And then when you fast forward all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's this huge feast party and celebration because why. The dwelling place of God is finally with man. God wants to be with his people. It's who he is. And some of you this morning, you don't know this God yet. You're here, and you're exploring. You're asking questions about who he is, and I hope this is a safe place to ask those questions and learn more about God, and I trust that he's pursuing you, that he's inviting you and responding to your pursuit of him. He wants to be with you. Others of you, you have known this God for months or years or even decades, and you know that God loves to be with his people. He's not that husband who puts the ring on the finger, but then he never pursues his wife again. God is already planning your next date night. He's already coordinating that time when you guys can just sit face to face and have some bro time together, whatever it is. God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with you. And God wanted to be with his people in the book of Exodus. And so he gives Moses these blueprints, these plans for how to build him a home, a house, a tabernacle. But while God is giving those blueprints to Moses, what are the people of God doing? What, I mean, we looked at it last week, right? They're playing with a golden calf. Instead of pitching in and raising funds to build a tabernacle for God, they're pitching in and raising funds to make some golden calf, right? Instead of waiting a little bit for Moses to come back down the mountain, they're running ahead of God's timing and doing things their own way. Instead of actually following the hero that just rescued them from the bad guy, they go and construct their own new brand of bad guy, the golden calf. I mean, it's ludicrous what they're doing. It's crazy and it's sinful, It's sinful what they're doing, even though we know that God wants to be with his people. Number two is this. God wants to be with his people, but God can't be with his people. God wants to be with his people, but God can't be with them. He is holy. They are unholy. He is good. They are ungood. He is righteous. They are unrighteous. So when they are unfaithful to God, they're doing their golden calf thing. We looked at it last week with uh, Eric. This is what God says in Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verses nine and 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. God's like, hey, I've been around these people, okay? And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, (laughs) That my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. God's saying, I've tried it with this people, but I'm done with them. They rebel. They reject me. I can't live among an unholy people. I want to be with them, but I can't be. God can't be with them because of his holiness and their sinfulness. It just doesn't mix. It can't come together. So go back to my summer job, mowing yards, right? So if I didn't show up to work, there was no way for my dad to teach me in that. My dad wanted to teach me the tricks in the trade, the tricks of the trade, of lawn care. But if I never showed up to work, he could never teach me those things. If I stayed home all day and played Joe Montana football, That was a great game. Like, anybody grew up in the 80s and 90s, if you didn't, I apologize. It was an awesome game. Sega, Joe Montana football. It was awesome. Go check it out. But if I stayed home and played that game all day long, then my dad wouldn't be able to be with me because those yards still had to get done. If I rejected my dad and went and took a different job, I could never know and experience just how much my dad wanted to be with me. And the same is true for all of us in our relationship with God. God wants to be with us. But our sin, your sin and my sin, our rejection of him, our rebellion against him, that sin drives a wall right between you and he. It keeps us apart, it keeps us separate. God is holy, and he simply can't be around, hang out with, or stay around sinners like you and me. It's like oil and water. He's the pure water, we're the dirty oil, and never shall the two mix. So it's a dilemma. We're stuck in the same exact dilemma as. As the people of God were in Exodus. God wants to be with us. We maybe even want to be with God, but there's this sin that's blocking us in between us, preventing him from being with us and preventing us from being with him. That's where we're at in the story. And this, this moment in the story of Exodus, this is when God comes back to the negotiation table with Moses Okay. God said, man, I want to be with my people. They do the golden calf thing. God's like, just leave me alone. But he's like, okay, Moses, come back up this mountain. Let's go to the negotiation table again. And this time God says, Moses, let's make a deal. You and I both know this is a really messed up people, but I'm still going to be nice I'm going to be a man of my word and give them what I originally promised them way back in Genesis. I'm going to give it to them, but I'm not going to go with them. So open your Bibles to Exodus 33. God spells out the terms of his deal that he wants to make with Moses in Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3. Exodus 33, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's going back in his mind to this promise that he made to those guys, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you to clear the path, right? And I will drive out all those guys. Verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So blessings untold, victory guaranteed. He's given Israel a place, a home. He's giving them success, but he says, I won't be there. So put yourself in their shoes. How would you respond? And I don't mean to be the preacher who exaggerates things, but really, Your answer makes all the difference. If God promised you that you would never be sick, you would never be poor, you would never have heartache or heartbreak again, good money, good food, good health, good relationships, You would have victory over your enemies. You would have everything that you dreamed of. If God promised to give you every blessing in the world except himself, how would you respond? Well, let's look at Israel's response and see what they did when they got news of this. Go to the next verse in Exodus 33, verse four, and I think we're gonna see Israel got it right this time. I think they actually responded well. Exodus 33, verse four, when the people heard this what? Disastrous word. They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Skip down to verse 6. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. In short, when God offered Israel complete success, but without his presence, Israel responded by saying, No way! We're going to stop playing these games, take off our ornaments, take off our extra jewelry. We're going to get down just to, like the basics. God, we must have you. We don't want to go on without you. We can't go on without you. For the people of God, success without God equaled disaster. Success without the presence of God meant disaster for them. So if the games that they were playing and the sin that they were cherishing meant that God couldn't go with them, they're like, okay, we'll do our best. We quit, all that stuff. We must have you. City Light, may our response be the same. Think about this personally. All your dreams and all of life's successes would be a disaster without the presence of God. All of those blessings, a healthy, rich, carefree life without God might as well be a wreck, a catastrophe, a disaster. I know those words sound drastic. They sound exaggerated, but I think Israel got it right here. Take the world, take all that good stuff, but God, at the end of the day, we must have you. We can't go on without you. Can you say the same thing in your own life? God, without you, my life is a wreck. God, without you, I'm just destined for disaster. God, I must have you and your presence in my life. And church, can we say the same thing? City Light Church, can we say to God, we can't go on without you, that we're destined for disaster apart from your presence. We want you with us, among us, and near to us. Listen, friends, I mean, we love to dream around here. We're a pretty dreamy church. We like to dream of like 10 churches planted throughout Council Bluffs and the towns in throughout southwest Iowa. We would love that. We love to dream of hundreds of city groups. We've got 11 so far. Jesus multiplied that at least tenfold. City groups spread all throughout our city, the towns around us, just pockets of people who love each other, care for each other, serve each other, and walk through life together. But listen, if God gives us all of that, but he doesn't go with us, then let's just quit right now, go home, and be done with these shenanigans, Right? We must have God. Oh, God, don't let us do this without you. Furthermore, God, we can't do this without you. We need the presence of God. We are desperate for the presence of God with us and in us. Amen, church? Amen. I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for us to feel the weight of this, right? It's like preacher man standing up there saying, I'm desperate for the presence of God, and you're like, How so? Like, I I don't get it. And I think part of the reason it's hard for us to feel the weight of this is, like, our lives are pretty decent. Right? Like, we have a roof over our heads. Most of us live relatively comfortably. And that comfort has this, like, sneaky way of telling us, you don't need God. Yeah, I mean, he's cool. He's an okay co-pilot, kind of a buddy to go through life with you. But need him? No, you're getting on just fine without him, right? And we hear that, and so it makes us think, maybe I'm not desperate for the presence of God. So what I want to do to close up this morning, to wrap us out, is give three reminders to help us cultivate a love for the presence of God. Help us understand how desperately we need the presence of God because my car that runs and my house that's heated and my salary, they don't remind me how desperately I need the presence of God, but the Bible does. And this story of Exodus does remind us. So let me give you three ways to cultivate a love for the presence of God. Number one is this, our rest, our rest is in the presence of God. We live in a busy, fast paced world. We are driven to succeed, get things done, check off the checklist, make things happen, and post a selfie on Facebook to tell the world about it as soon as we are done. And in the middle of all that, right, our hearts get tired. It's like me on a treadmill after 30 seconds. Brothers got to slow down. Exodus 33, verse 14. God says to Moses, my presence will go with you. So it ended up, we'll get to how it worked out, but it ended up in their favor. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Some of us just realize how badly we need rest just by hearing the word, just by hearing the promise. Our hearts crave rest Real, deep, soul-level rest. And that rest only comes from being in the presence of God. We need him. Do any of you have a friend where just being around him or her just gives you rest? Just refreshing, right? I can honestly say that Eric is like this for me. Um, Just being around him just like slows me down a little bit and refreshes me a lot. Church planting is a lot of fun. Church planting is fast paced. It's hard work. And me, of all people, man, I'm going 90 miles an hour. I got my checklist and I love checking things off that checklist. And so I'm just speeding through. But if I can get some time to sit down with Eric, my heart just slows down a little bit and I can rest. It's peaceful. God is like that. Just being in his presence, being around him, slows your heart and mind down, and he gives you rest. Our rest comes from and in the presence of God. Number two, how to cultivate a love for the presence of God. Our identity. Our identity is in the presence of God. Man, have you ever felt like you're just stuck in a rat race, like a copycat culture? You're just the next guy working a job, cranking the wheel, and trying to do enough to get a paycheck. Just the next person who's nearing retirement and wondering if you have enough fixed income to make it through. Just the next woman who's pregnant, about to have a baby, and wondering if it's going to be healthy. Just the next parent who's praying for your teenager because 16 is scary and cars are fast. Right In our uh, fast-paced world, in our copycat culture, the presence of God makes us distinct. It gives us a unique identity. Let me show it to you in Exodus 33, verse 16. 33, 16, Moses is talking back to God. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? The presence of God right there. So that we are Distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. So the presence of God, God actually going with them, made them distinct. And the presence of God in our lives makes us distinct. It gives us a unique identity. We are in this world and on this planet. We're living in this city, but we are unique. We are set apart. We are distinct because of God himself in us and with us. The presence of God gives us identity. We need him. Third way to cultivate a love for the presence of God and awareness of our need for the presence of God is this being in the presence of God requires pardon. P A R D O N. Pardon me, do you have any gray poupon? That's what I'm talking about. That word, pardon. Wow, I'm getting old. Nobody laughed at that joke. (laughs) Being in the presence of God requires pardon. Okay, now remember our dilemma originally, right? God wants to be with us, but he can't be with us. Our sin can't mix with his holiness. It's a block. It's a wall that keeps him from us. The same was true for the Israelites. So what does Moses do? What does Moses go to God and pray for and ask for? Turn one chapter over, Exodus 34, verse 9. Okay, So here's what's happened. God said, I want to be with you and your people, Moses. They say, oh, we're going to play with the golden calf. God's like, I can't, just leave me alone. Moses intercedes. He's like, no, we must have your presence. And God's like, okay, but I'm just going to go with you, Moses, not with all them. He's, Moses like, no, we need you with all of us. So what does Moses do? He starts to pray in Exodus 34, verse 9. He's like this. Uh, Moses said to God, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, Please let the Lord go in the midst of us, not just me, all of us, God. Let you go in the midst of us. He wants the presence of God, for it is a stiff-necked people. So Moses didn't appeal to God and say, hey, go with us because we'll get our act together. Go with us because we can figure this thing out. He's like, nah, God, you're right. We're stiff-necked. We're all sorts of stubborn. Let your presence go with us, for we are a stiff-necked people. Then what does he ask for? And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Moses wants the presence of God. He wants the deep rest that comes in the presence of God, the unique identity that's drawn from the presence of God. He wants more and more of God, but Moses also knows that he's living with and he's leading a bunch of stubborn, stiff-necked people. So what does he ask for? Pardon. Pardon. Pardon our guilt and our iniquity. We are the same way. You are the same way. We long for the very presence of God. We were even created for the presence of God. God himself in us and among us. But we've got to be honest that we, not just those people back then, but we are stubborn. We are stiff-necked sinners, stuck in our ways and trapped in our rebellion and wrapped in our regrets. So what do we do? We ask for pardon. And God gives us pardon through whom? How do we close every sermon, church? God gives us pardon through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we get so excited about around here. The good news that God saves sinners, that's us, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good news that God can now be with you. He can be with me. Not because we got our act together and tried to obey those 10 commandments and clean up like a good boy or a good girl, but because God pardons our guilt. He pardons our sin through Jesus Christ. City Light, you can't obey the law in Exodus 20 enough to ever get back to God because we've already done broke it. Jesus Christ obeyed that law for us in our place. City "Like you can't get holy or clean those stains up enough. They're already on us and they won't go away. Jesus Christ remained holy, stayed clean. And when we put our trust and our faith in him, all that holiness, all that cleanness, boom, it gets injected and over us. Therefore, God can be with us. God Almighty, who longs to be with you, can now live inside you. His home, his house is your heart. City Light. Let's be a people who love the presence of God. On Sunday mornings when we gather in our city groups, all throughout our lives, throughout the weeks, let's be a people who love the presence of God because Jesus Christ died so that we could enjoy it. Amen? Amen.